Well, this week is our fifth sermon in this series, and I've titled this week, Restoration and Real Healing. Restoration and Real Healing. You'll see why we're going to talk about that today from from this text. Last week, we were talking about the call as Christians to pursue and to pray for seeing success with the gospel going forward through through our own efforts, being obedient to God by by his grace, right? We can can desire and expect to see success of the gospel spreading in our world. And and we talked about that reality, and then we talked about the, the connected reality is as Christians, we need to be expecting and understanding and and preparing for the the fact that we are going to suffer in this world. That's part of living in this broken, fallen world, especially part of living as a follower of God in this world. We will suffer rejection. We will suffer at times hatred for our obedience to him, but that does not mean that it is not worth it. That's what we talked about last week, right? That that this is the call of every Christian to, to experience both the success and the suffering of following Jesus, and in the end, that obedience obedience is so worth it. At the very end of the message last week, I, I said, you know, the reality is, is I'm, I'm inviting us into a, a call to come and suffer for the sake of Christ. You know, the reality is everyone, if you're honest, admits there is suffering in this world that you're experiencing already, right? So, so the call to come and suffer for Christ isn't to say move from no suffering to suffering. It's to say come and suffer for a purpose, an eternally significant purpose, Right? There's a whole world full of suffering with a whole variety of ways that people suffer. It's just part of living in this broken, fallen world because uh, if to put simply, suffering is a serious reality because sin is still present in the world. And as long as sin is present in this world, and it will be until Christ comes again, then, then there is suffering. And there's suffering for people who follow Christ and there's suffering for people who who aren't following Christ. And Luke, the, the human author of the book of Acts, where we are, demonstrates this reality that the suffering is not unique to Christians, and, and further, the suffering is not unique to someone like Saul, right? I said we, we may have a temptation to think, well, well, sure, Saul has to suffer for the sake of, of the gospel, but maybe I can get out of it. You know, that's, that's not the way it works. Luke wants to point out the universal nature of suffering by, by turning the narrative in Acts chapter 9 away from Saul and over to, to a different figure. He shifts the focus back to, to Peter. Peter was uh, very prominent in the events of, of chapters 1 to 8 in the book of, of Acts, and we kind of covered all that in a previous series back in, in 2019. Peter was, just to kind of refresh your memory, one of the original 12 disciples that Jesus called. He was, he was a regular guy. Uh, unlike Saul, he was not highly educated. He was very brash, a bit hot-headed, right? He experienced incredible ups and downs in his walk as a disciple. I mean, at times, Peter is praised by Jesus. You, you've, you've really got this, you know, wonderful uh, thing there, Peter. Good job. And then at other times, Jesus is, is rebuking Peter, saying, yeah, you've, you've missed it completely, right? And so he's got this kind of up and down, this very relatable human experience for us. But, but after the resurrection and ascension of Christ, Peter becomes a bold and courageous witness who preaches with great passion about the Savior. So Luke turns the focus away from Saul, who we, we spent four weeks now looking at his life, his conversion, and the start of his ministry. And, and we look to Peter, and we find in Peter this early church leader, not just staying in Jerusalem, you know, where they've started this church, seeing great success in these first few years, but he begins traveling around, building up, and, and even working to make new converts, particularly from Jewish people, who he will preach the gospel to, and then they in turn submit to Christ as their Lord 
and Savior. And so we're focusing in on Peter now as we pick up the text in Acts chapter 9, verses 32 and 33. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. So Peter comes to this town, and I want us to, to know the specific language that's there. It's, it's language that features prominently in the letters that are written uh, uh, later, but is, is somewhat rare, kind of stands out in the narrative of the book of Acts. It's when Peter comes to town, the text tells us he finds their saints which is the biblical word for all those who are saved, right? Remember, the, the Bible doesn't teach what the Roman Catholic Church teaches about this. Saints are not super-Christians, right? They're not, they're not better than the regular believers like you and I. Rome says that's what a saint is, someone special and holy, and only they get to determine who's canonized as a saint. But the Bible doesn't use the word saint that way. The Bible calls all believers saints, to be a saint isn't to be better than anyone else. It's to be one who is saved and declared righteous by Christ, that's you, that's, that's me as a Christian, right? We are saints. No matter how messed up we are, no matter how far we, we still have to go in our walk, all believers are equally declared in Scripture to be saints. That's incredible, an incredible reality of how God sees us and what God is doing in us, right? So Peter comes to this place and, and finds, well, there's believers here, and, and they're living in the reality that believers live in in all ages as they're suffering in the brokenness of this world, the same way we suffer in the brokenness of this world today too. Peter specifically finds a type of suffering in this town all those years ago that he would find today if he walked into our church gathering, if he walked into our towns around us here. He finds there's sickness that's there. Some, some sort of disease present in the life of a saint, a follower of Christ, that for eight years this man has suffered with and been bedridden and paralyzed. See, sicknesses like this are part of the reality of this world that we live in. Even with all our medical knowledge and all our technology, right, there are almost countless different forms of sicknesses and diseases and physical sufferings that are present and that are experienced by people in this world. This touches all of us to one extent or another. And over the last several weeks, I've been thinking and praying a lot about this topic, about this idea of suffering and physical illness and sickness. And, and we've been praying in our services together, right? When we, when we lift up those who have uh, specifically every single week been praying for those with cancer, right? We've lifted up Nicole and Brian and Dale and, and Sharon. We've been saying, okay, this is a, a sickness that we know is serious. We know is beyond our, our abilities, Lord, that needs uh, something that we cannot ourselves do. And so we've, we've lifted those up to, to pray asking God to do something because there are different forms of cancer in different parts of the body and, and it's complex, far too complex for any one of, of you or I in this room to, to fix. And over the last two weeks in particular, I've, I've thought about this every time I've heard that there's been several people in our church just in these last two weeks who, who have underwent various treatments, had, had surgeries and other medical procedures performed. And so each time I'm, I'm aware of that, I'm praying for, for the people in those situations. And, and over the last seven weeks or so, Malia and I have, have been up to Iowa City uh, six times to the children's hospital there. And, and uh, it's striking to us, we, we've talked about this as we've gone on these trips, we, we go in and we're kind of in the rhythm now, we, we get checked in and we go up to the second floor and you turn down this hallway and in, into this wing that's all just pediatric specialists, particularly pediatric orthopedic specialists. 
And we're there, of course, you know, to get treatment for, for Noah's uh, bilateral club foot. And, and we've gotten six casts on, and, and in not this Monday, but the, the following Monday, right after Easter, we'll, we'll take those off, and, and hopefully that part of the treatment will be done. And, and praise God, it's been very, very successful. But as we have gone there and we have uh, sat there in this waiting room, and this, this is a, a huge waiting room. I mean, it's, it's easily five or six times the length of this this. Um, sanctuary that we're in. It's just, you walk down this massive, massive thing, and there's just, you know, seating everywhere. And we will walk past kids and youth that, that are all there with different kinds of illnesses, different kinds of sicknesses, different kinds of physical challenges. Some of them with, with multiple, looks like multiple things kind of compounded. And none of those kids, if you're there at that doctor's office in those waiting rooms, right, you're not there for the well visit. Right? There's no regular care that's, that's offered there. You're going there because there's some kind of sickness present that you need someone who's specialized in that, who's very experienced and, and knows how to treat that particular thing. And, and we walk past dozens of, of people, dozens of kids and youth every time, and it's just a stark reminder to us of the variety of sicknesses that exist in this world. Not everyone that we sit next to is, is in the situation Noah's in. In fact, we've only really met one or two other kids who have the same condition. Others have that plus something else or totally different conditions, and we sit there realizing that this is just part. It's a horrible part. It's a sad part, but it's a real part of this world we live in, there's sickness, there's disease, there's physical suffering in people, countless people here in the Midwest, let alone across the country, around the world. This is part of what living in this world looks like. There's a great deal of suffering that comes from sicknesses, from disease, from medical issues. And like I said, they impact everyone to some degree. You can think this morning of people in your own life, maybe you yourself with certain medical issues or sicknesses that you are fighting or those you love around you from immediate family to extended family and friends. All of us can imagine right now the names of probably not just a few, but many people who have suffered in some way with this type of physical impact of sickness in our world. So the question that we must deal with as Christians is how do we engage and think about suffering from sickness in light of our faith? How does, how does being a Christian change how we approach dealing with sickness and dealing with physical suffering? Does it have a bearing or are we just like everyone else who, well, that's part of life and that's all that we can do is just kind of slog through it? Well, I, I think our faith does impact this, right? I think our belief in Jesus, I think our relationship with him changes things about how we interact in all spheres of reality. And so how we deal with sickness should look distinct as a Christian versus someone who does not know Christ. Now, this man that we're looking at here that Peter encounters in Acts 9.33, I want us again to notice the details. He has suffered, it says, for eight years with this illness and the physical results of it. And so several of those years, he's, he's been a believer already, and yet, as a believer, is continuing to suffer the pain of sickness. Don't miss this. He's suffering this as part of God's good plan for his life. And I want us to see that. I want us to see how that works here today as we talk about this. Luke tells us that after eight years of suffering for this, in verse 34, Peter comes and Peter says to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And Pastor Chuck Swindoll, if you've ever listened to him on the radio, he uh, once remarked as he was preaching on this passage, clearly an incredible miracle of God took place here through Peter, Right? Because something unusual happened. Many of us who are parents have said, rise and make your bed, and nothing happens. But Peter gets results, 
Now, in all seriousness, there is something incredible here, right? Peter comes and meets this man, and he's led by God to do what Jesus did so many times in his earthly ministry. The healing power of God restores this man from his sickness to health. The underlying condition is gone. The resulting paralysis is over with. This man is physically restored to health in the name of Jesus Christ. It's incredible, an incredible display of God's power through Peter as he comes here, right? Now, some people want to look at this and say, okay, well, this must be what it means. This must be what we should expect as, as Christians. And if Peter can heal this man, then you and I should just heal the sick people we come in contact just like that too. And I get that desire, and I, and I really understand how wonderful that would be if we had that ability. But the reality is healing like this is not normative. It's not normal. It's not the typical way God works in this world. Think about this carefully, right? This man is one of many saints, it says, who are present in this town. He's been ill for eight years, and not one of them healed him, right? The other Christians he was with, I'm sure, loved him. I'm sure prayed for him. I'm sure they wanted to see him healed, but they couldn't make God heal him, right? It was an unusual event, something amazing and uncommon when Peter came and this man was fully healed through Peter's ministry, restored to health from the suffering that he endured for eight long years. So we need to be biblical in our thinking and we need to be clear in our hearts and minds when we think about healing and the relationship of healing to our faith. Listen, God does not normatively, miraculously heal believers from all sicknesses. We're not given a promise that when you and I have faith in Jesus Christ, when we become Christians, then part of the deal is we get perfect physical health. He's not committed himself to healing our physical bodies, restoring our physical health in every circumstance. We're told clearly in Scripture that God does have a plan for each and every one of us, that he uses all things in our lives, ultimately for our good and for his glory, and more often than not, the reality of what that looks like means that we will go through suffering, even the suffering of sickness and disease and physical issues for long periods, sometimes even the entirety of our lives. So these words of Jesus come to mind as I've been thinking about all of this. They come from John chapter 9, where Jesus explains the same crucial truth that I just stated, that God does not normatively, miraculously heal believers from all sicknesses. In John 9, verses 1 to 3, we read this, and as he passed by, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. Hear, hear what Jesus is saying, paralleling what I said last week as, as we talked about suffering, rejection, suffering, being hated. Now apply this reality to suffering physically and with sickness. Experiencing physical suffering, sicknesses, or disease is not a sign of God's wrath upon you, lack of care for you, or failure by you on the part of a believer. You're, you're not sick because God's mad at you. You're not sick because you've failed him and there's, there's your punishment because you didn't take the enough invite cards last week. That's not how God works. He's not punishing you with sickness. He's using whatever sickness, whatever physical issue you may be dealing with for a greater purpose, that God would be glorified in some way through you. This man in John 9, it, he wasn't born blind by chance. 
It wasn't random and it wasn't meaningless. It was part of how God intended to use that particular man to glorify him. How the sovereign king said, this is the way I will use this man to bring me glory. He will live all of his life from the moment of his birth all the way till he's this grown man sitting there at the, the temple as Jesus is walking by. He will be blind through all of that so that Jesus will heal him on this one particular day and bring glory to me. This, this, is, this was God's plan for a lifetime of blindness in this individual. This man in Acts 9, part of God's plan for his life was eight years of living with whichever illness this was specifically that left him bedridden and unable to walk until God miraculously healed him through Peter there in Acts Nine, the truth is this, that we need to be clear on, we need to believe this and remind ourselves of this often when we think about sickness as we prepare for it. It is a reality we will face. The truth is this, God chooses to heal some, but not all people. And it's because he has a bigger and better plan at work. Listen, physical healing and health are not the highest good. They're not the most important thing. We live in a culture that's so blessed with resources, so blessed with information. I mean, we can do all kinds of research from our phones about what's good for us, what's not good for us. We can come up with all kinds of plans to work out and use our bodies well, all this great information. But that's not the most important thing in life. Again, I think about how Jesus said this in Luke 4. It's when he's in Nazareth, early in his, his ministry, he, he comes into the, to the synagogue and, and, and gets the Isaiah scroll out and reads from Isaiah 61 and then proclaims, he himself is the anointed one. He has fulfilled the scripture in the hearing of the people. And he goes on to explain why he won't do miracles on demand, why he won't just prove himself. And the, the thing he just said, they said, well, fine, if that's true, then, then do this. Prove it to us this way. And Jesus says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, to respond to whatever you tell me to, to do. I doesn't, I'm not going to heal everyone who is sick to, to validate what I have said. You have to believe. He says these words in Luke 4, 25, 28. For in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Again, if you're, if you're on our Bible reading plan, you just read those stories, right? Uh, you just saw how God chose to work in that way. So why the response of the, of the people to be wrathful when Jesus reminds them of their, of their Old Testament history and how God worked in those incredible situations? Because they understood. Jesus is saying, hey, God is not a genie granting wishes. I'm not a genie granting wishes. That's what he was telling them. God has always chosen to work according to his purposes. And even in these examples, he's telling them there was a selection made on the part of God to do miracles for one widow out of all the widows that existed at that time, to heal one leper out of all the many lepers that there were in Israel at that time. The point is God does work in powerful ways. These are stories of God's power on incredible display. He does miraculous things, but he's telling them no one forces God to do anything. God's not obligated to do anything. He is truly God. That means he gets to determine what, when, and where, and with whom he will do all things. So hear me. God does incredible, miraculous works in this world. 
absolutely does. I mean, the scripture's filled with them. We just read an instance of that in Acts chapter 9. But he does these things as part of his bigger plan, as part of a greater goal, something that, that you and I as humans fail sometimes to see in our limited, often narrow perspectives. So this is, I believe, so crucial for us to know and hold to this understanding of who Jesus is and how he heals and why he would choose to heal some but not others because we live in a day in which our culture has so many false teachers teaching wrongly about this, telling us that believers have a divine right to healing, that if you just have enough faith, you'll always get healed, or that you could perhaps compel God to do something amazing, miraculous, maybe a healing, maybe a sign or wonder or something else. If you just take certain actions or pray in a certain way, you can get from God whatever it is you really want. And that's completely unbiblical. That's completely different than the God of the Bible. And I, I have to hit on this so directly because the reality is this isn't something that's just far away from us. It's not just something people believe in some you know, weird churches far, far away from here, you know, maybe out on the coasts or something. I have had someone in my office here, this building, just within the last few years, who sat there and embraced this type of view from false teachers. This person was literally saying that I, as the pastor of the church, can compel God to do miraculous works if I would just do certain actions and do certain things in prayer. That I can make him do these great things. And this person was demanding I do those. So demanding that I demand of God certain things. And I responded by pointing out what I pointed out here from the scriptures today. God is God. I can't force him to do anything. I'm not God. He's not a genie. He's not obligated to obey me or anyone else's wishes or desires. You and I, as human beings, his creation, are called to submit to him and his will. He does not submit to us. So we need to recognize when we talk about this topic that God is sovereign. He has specific purposes in this world. His will is always right and good. And we should not assume a posture of arrogance or ignorance about these kind of things. So I stress all of that because it is crucial for us to hold fast to truth on this matter. And at the same time, I want us to know that while God does not always heal everybody from every sickness, God does heal people. Right? That's what we see in this text. God wasn't obligated for eight years, I'm sure, of believers praying for that man. God wasn't obligated to answer any of those prayers. But he did heal this man when Peter prayed for him. Why? Because God does work in great power in this world. God does restore physical health. He is capable and willing to do that in this world when it furthers his purposes. So God can and does heal people in this world, but notice how it is connected to a greater purpose, to the mission of God going forward in the text there of Acts 9. Look at 34 and 35 again. So Peter had said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And then listen, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. The purpose of healing this man, it wasn't just to make his life better. It certainly would, right? It certainly did. But it wasn't be just to make his life better. It wasn't because he had finally earned healings. God had said, okay, eight years of suffering, then you've earned your healing. That wasn't it. He didn't have a super amount of faith. And it wasn't because Peter was the guy who healed everybody he ever came in contact with. He didn't. 
The reason God healed this man at this moment using Peter was so that the residents of this town and the broader region there would turn to the Lord and respond to the gospel that Peter was out preaching and proclaiming. The purpose of restoring this, the health of this man in Acts 9 was a prelude to God restoring the souls of many sinners through the gift of salvation. So, so hear me clearly. God can physically heal people. He can restore health after years of dealing with sickness and complications, even issues that someone's been born with and lived their entire life with, right? That's what we saw in John 9 with the man Jesus healed born blind. We need to believe in the power of God, and we need to pray to see the power of God take place in our world like that. And as we pray, as we seek, as we believe for healing, we need to understand and think through what the scripture reveals to us, that when God does healings like this, he does them as part of a greater plan. And you and I, Jesus tells us to seek, he tells us, seek first what? The kingdom of God. That's the, the mindset we need to have here to understand that what, when God works in this world in powerful, mighty ways, it's to further the kingdom. So if you and I are putting the kingdom first, then when we're praying for healing, when we're praying for physical power to be seen as God would restore the health of somebody, we understand that he will do that if it furthers the kingdom. And if he doesn't do that and that furthers the kingdom, then we will glorify him for that too. That's what we need to be thinking of. That's what posture we need to have. We need to understand God's greater plan. He is more intent on bringing greater healing than just physical healing. He's intent on healing souls. More than just physical healing. More than just the restoration of bodies. Physical healing is wonderful to experience. Good for us to pray for, but it's not ultimate. We must not make an idol out of physical health. God uses all things, including sickness and suffering, to spread the gospel and bring himself glory. So it's easy, I think, for us, it's easy for me sometimes when, when I'm going and I'm seeing, like I said, so many people dealing with so many kinds of sicknesses, feeling that reality of that in our own family. It's easy for me to want to read this text and go, okay, God, if, if you healed him, then I want you to heal these people. And it's easy for us to, to, to want to experience that personally, to pray for that experience personally, and that's good to do, but, but friends, God has something far bigger and far better promised to his people than just physical healing. So next Sunday, it's typically we call Easter Sunday, right? But I, I really, I prefer when I'm talking about it to, to really pinpoint clearly the focus of it, and I'll refer to it as Resurrection Sunday, because what we're focusing upon this, this whole week as we lead up to that day is, is really leading up to Friday. We're going to talk about suffering and we're going to talk about the death of Jesus himself and how he took on this, this incredible weight of our sin and died as a substitute on behalf of, of his people. He paid the price that all of us incurred and, and owe. And, and then on Sunday when we come together, it's, it's to celebrate the fact that he rose, that there was a resurrection that took place that's the impact and the implications of, of what he did, that he is alive, that we come to celebrate with great joy on next Sunday. The whole point of this whole week, and particularly of next Sunday, is what Jesus did to save his people from their sins, how he came to give eternal life to restore and heal not just physical bodies, but souls. The greater promise this week speaks to us this. God restores souls 
not just bodies. And God heals from sin, not just sickness. Like I said, I've been thinking a lot about this because this has been a lot of, of my prayer time has been praying for, for people who have been going through the reality of suffering with sickness in these last several weeks. And it's difficult. It's really tiring, right? It can make our hearts and our souls feel weary and worn out at times. I get that. I feel that too. I know many of you have, especially if you've suffered for years with something, right? It wears on us. But there's rest and strength to be found in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the trial, when we look to the greater story and to the eternal realities. To pray for healing and mighty works of God in this world, absolutely, we should do that. But when we understand that that would be part of something bigger and a better plan unfolding, part of this mission that we are called to focus primarily upon, not to pursue physical health, but to proclaim the way for souls to be healed from sin, then we find ourselves built up and strengthened in the midst of trials. To understand that God's assignment for us in this world does, the reality is it does often mean walking through suffering and experiencing hardships and pain and physical problems. It's the reality of this broken world. But when we walk through those things, holding on to the promise that in doing so, we will one day experience a true and full restoration. And on that day, in eternity, it will be far, far sweeter in light of what we've experienced here. That gives us hope and joy and endurance. I quoted these words last week at the end of the message, but but hear them today in their full context from 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18. Here's what you and I are told. So do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They fade away. They're going away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. He tells us, do not lose heart. We do really suffer here. We are wasting away. There is affliction upon us in this life. But he says what lies ahead is a weight of glory beyond all comparison. The worst that you can experience here will seem light and momentary when we're restored to fullness in eternity. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that thought then what what says, okay, whatever comes, Lord. (laughs) This world is not our home. This world is not our home. This life is not all that there is. We are merely pilgrims making a journey to true life, to true health, to true restoration in the presence of God himself. Sickness, disease, and physical suffering, it all ends for us at the end of this life. Our souls go into eternity free from all of that if we are saved by Christ. So as we face the realities of sickness and disease and physical sufferings in this world We should know clearly and beyond a shadow of a doubt, our God is the God who has the power and who does actually bring healing physically in this world. And so we should pray for it. We should ask for it. We should say, 
God, if it be your will, heal me from this sickness. Heal them from that disease. Lord, touch this body. We should pray that way passionately, repeatedly, never losing hope. If it's one time we pray or two times we pray or eight years we've been praying or a lifetime of someone that we've been praying for them, God has the power to move. We should continue with great confidence in praying. And so today we, we are going to pray that way. We're going to pray and ask the same God who in Acts 9 brought physical restoration and healing to that man to, to do that for those who we have been lifting up in prayer for physical needs because we know he can. So we'll ask him again to do that, to heal those who are physically suffering. But I want us to pray that prayer today and then as we go forward and we're continuing to pray these prayers throughout the week for the people that we love, I want us to pray that way in a full-orbed, really biblically informed way that not, we would not just focus on physical healing as if it's the ultimate good, but that when we pray for physical healing, we would have the right mentality and say, God, would you heal this person from this sickness and use that healing to bring others to faith in you just as you did in Acts 9. Let's pray that way. Let's pray that God would use, he would use healings, he would display his might and power so that sinners would be drawn into relationship with him. And as we enter into this week of focusing on Jesus' suffering and his death, and ultimately we come to celebrate his unique resurrection next Sunday, I pray that we will find our hearts and minds strengthened and focused and motivated by eternity and those realities that we just read of in 2 Corinthians. That we would be made bold in this life to live more focused on Jesus, more committed to the mission he's entrusted with us, to us, more willing to give it all and endure it all for the sake of his name. Because we know, believers, we know that we have a full and final restoration coming, the one that Jesus Christ will give to his people because of all he's accomplished through the cross and the empty tomb. This is as bad as it gets. The suffering here will be light and momentary compared to what comes. So endure. Use whatever physical sufferings come into your life to bring glory to God and as opportunities to share his gospel. Nothing in this life is meaningless. None of this life is outside of his hand. So we need to reorient our thinking to realize that, to pursue proclaiming his gospel in and through all that he leads us to experience in this life. So we're going to take a few moments to respond. And, and uh, Wendy is, is gone. She's, she's traveling for work today. And I talked with Sean. And he said, let's just, let's just do it this way today. We're going to use a track and we're going to sing the song, It Is Well. Very fitting song for us to sing, I think, on this day. And we're going to play that. The words will be on the screen. And we're going to sing that together. And if you want to come to the altar to pray during that time, you are welcome to. The altar's open. And, and I, I say this uh, repeatedly over the last several weeks. This is always an invitation for someone who has never responded in faith to Christ before. If you're not a Christian, if you've never experienced God's work in your heart, then, then this is the invitation. Come and receive a relationship in his power today. But that's not all that this moment is for. For those of us living in the already, not yet, right? The tension of, of knowing there's something greater that we're headed to, but, but feeling the reality of this world that we live in that's broken, then this is our time to be made ready to lay down some sins maybe, to repent and find forgiveness to lay down needs that, that okay, yes, we, we, we want to give them to you, but, but we've really been carrying them around all week, <laughs> to come and really, truly lay those down, to ask God 
for the help, the strength, the wisdom that we need to, to navigate whatever it is that lies ahead of us this week, the things we know about and don't know about. This is a chance for us to be made ready. That could be our response today, to come and ask God to make me ready for this coming week, for these coming things in my life. So this is the response time for, for all of us to respond to the word of God. The altars are open for any need, for every need. And we're gonna sing this song together, It Is Well, and then I'm gonna close us in, in prayer. I'm gonna pray for healing, and we're gonna pray for God to use those acts of healing to draw many to faith in him. Would you stand with me this morning, and we'll sing It Is Well together. Father, we pray this morning as we have talked about that you are the God who can bring healing to physical bodies. There is no sickness, there is no disease in any person that, that right now in this room we will think of and we will bring their names to mind, Lord. There is no one who is beyond your ability to heal. We believe that. And so, Lord, we ask with great confidence in your power and in your ability that you would bring healing to these people that we are thinking of right now. Lord, from, from uh, broken bones to cancer to heart issues to, to mental problems, Lord, anything that is wrong physically, we know you're the God who can bring complete and full restoration in that body. And so, Lord, we're praying this morning that we would see you move in a mighty way to bring healing two people that we think of right now, but Lord, we pray that you would also help us view these things as opportunities for the kingdom of God to expand. May we not get caught up, Lord, in making health an idol. May we not get caught up in pursuing something temporary, even a physical good like healing. May we not set our sights too low, but Lord, as we pray for these individuals right now, those who know you, may we pray that as they are healed, Lord, you will then use their testimony of healing to draw others into a saving relationship with you. For those we are thinking of right now who do not know you, Lord, would you use us, use those Christians around them, Lord, to be lights to them that when you heal them, they see it was the hand of God that healed them, that through that healing physically, Lord, you would restore their soul. You would bring them to you in a saving way, Lord. We believe that you can and you do great and mighty miraculous things in this world. So we ask for them, we trust you for them, and we pray, Lord, that all of those things would be used to further your kingdom and see the lost saved. We thank you for the gift, the privilege, Lord, of being able to pray for needs like this. I pray that you give us confidence in you and a resolve that no matter how long we pray for healing, we would continue because our confidence in your power and your might would never fail. We thank you, God, for this great privilege of gathering together today. We thank you for speaking to us through your word today. And we ask, Lord, that as we go into this week and to whatever lies ahead, the things we foresee and the things that are totally unforeseen to us, Lord, we pray that you would guide us and lead us in every step, every moment of every day, that you would receive all the glory and honor in all that we do. It's in your beautiful, powerful name that we pray today, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen.